Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning as we look to Revelation chapter 4 together in our series in the book of Revelation. Suddenly, John is alone. What was bright fades to black. What was glory and splendor grows dim. And, and the voice of the Lord, thundering like the sound of many waters, goes quiet. And he's alone again. And, and he's writing the last few words that the Lord had just dictated to him to write. He's, he's writing the end of Revelation chapter 3. He's, he's writing the, the last words to the church in Laodicea. The Lord had, had given him messages for each of the seven churches and, and John's just finishing writing and now he finds himself alone. It's quiet. He's, he's finishing the text and, and he's contemplating. Each of the letters to the churches came with encouragement, sweet promises, but they came with warnings and descriptions of trouble and difficulty that the churches are going to have to walk through. And, and John is overwhelmed. How will God's people hold on in the middle of all of this? And suddenly, it is bright again. And trumpeting and booming and, and roaring from heaven. That voice speaks to him again and says, John, come up here. I've got more to show you. And John finds himself in the Spirit in another world again. And the king ushers John in to seeing the second vision in the book of Revelation. This vision is here on purpose. It's, it's, it's here, right after Revelations 1 through 3, where we've, we've learned about the troubles that the church is going to face, the, the difficulties they're walking through, the dangers that are all around them. It's after all that. And yet it's before the majority of the book. And if you're familiar with the book, you know there's some stuff about to go down. There are, there are beasts and harlots and temptations and trials it's going to be battles in the heavenlies and the church is going to be vulnerable through all of that it's going to be confusing to live through this book perplexing it's going to feel like there's no plan from earth's perspective it's what is going on it's not supposed to be this way I mean, it just even reading the book of Revelation, it, you get that feel. What is going on? This is not an easy road that the church is going to be called to, to walk down. And so, before all that, but after the introduction, the Lord pauses the book. He pauses the book to equip His people. To equip those churches He's just addressed. To equip all of His people at all times. This is what you need to endure. This is what you need for the whole book of Revelation right here. This is what you need if you're going to be a believer. You're going to be a church in these latter days. And friends, that's us. So the Lord has given this for us to equip us that we could live 
in these days that are described, that are, from our perspective, so confusing. We're going to need the vision of Revelation chapter 4. And we get to read this together. Would you stand with me while we read this one? I was telling the guys this morning to sit through this passage feels to me like more than sitting through the national anthem. We got to stand for this. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before Him saying, Worthy are you! our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Father God, you have given us your word that we could know who you are. Would you speak it afresh? to us today, that we could see you in the splendor of your holiness through your word, and so be changed. Pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You can be seated. We just read 11 verses. 11 verses with one word that was used 13 times in those 11 
verses. 13 times in 11 verses. And those 13 usages of that one word get us very near to the heart of this passage. Very near to the, to the main idea of this passage. And that word, that one word used 13 times is throne. Throne. John finds himself suddenly in heaven. And, and he, he turns around and the first thing he sees is a throne. And I love how he tells us about this. It says in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Behold is one of those Bible words that can lose its meaning with us. Behold means look. Check it out. And so, so it's, it's almost funny to me. John, it, it, he puts his arm around us as though we're there with him. It says, look, look, there's a throne and there is one seated on the throne. This morning, friends, as we, as we go through this, I just encourage you, this is meant to be read with our sanctified imaginations. That we, we would picture what John is saying to the best of our ability, that the Lord uses that that's why it's all colors and images and pictures that we can imagine. So there's a throne, and there is one seated upon it. Verse 3, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So three different precious stones are, are mentioned here, jasper and carnelian and emerald, and, and they're all transparent so light passes through each of these different precious stones there's something precious about this there's something glorious about this there's there's the beauty of of light and of colors there's at least red and green we've got the emerald that's green around the throne itself john is trying to put into words what cannot be put into words He's trying to describe what he's seeing, which is, which is beyond human description. He describes the, the, the glory of God emanating from the throne. He doesn't really get into the, what the one on the throne looks like. We get colors and light and glory. John speaks humbly about the one on the throne. He's not, not pressing past the limits of what is ours to know. He's speaking humbly of the one on the throne. In fact, he's speaking so humbly that throughout the entirety of Revelation 4, he never even uses the name of the one on the throne. To, to the extent that he does, he, he allows the, the, the song of the creatures to be said. It's the Lord God Almighty. He, he allows the song of the, of the elders to be said our Lord and God. But John won't use the name. Like Jews for a thousand generations before him wouldn't use the name of God. John stands there and can't even speak the name of the one on the throne. Verse 4, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 
I'm going to attempt to tell you what that means. You ready? You remember that pastors don't get special Bibles, right? With special God notes. You can study, and there are, there are indicators in here, but I will admit up front that the indicators are not entirely conclusive as to what are these 24 elders. But I'll give you my best guess. They're pictured as elders, that is, older, wise, dignified human beings. I think we're to see these as sort of representatives of the saints. Representatives of, of the human race that's been saved by Christ, seated around the throne in a place of honor. They're the first ones mentioned, actually, after the one on the throne. I think that fits because it is humans that are made in the image of God. It is not angelic beings that are made in His image. Though angelic beings are high and exalted and, and lifted up, uh, and, and humans, when they see them, tend to worship them accidentally, uh, it is humans that were made in the image of God and made and given this, this word, take dominion over all that I have made. That humans were made to rule over God's creation. And we have these elders sitting here on thrones wearing crowns. And then, of course, what makes this hard for us to believe is that we know what sinners humans are. You know, we know that humans are, are sinful. But Christ came to restore us to the way God made us. To, to, give, to give back to humanity what, what had been taken away in the garden, what was lost in the fall. And so, so now, if, if you're in Christ, one day you will reign with Him. I think this pictures the, the reigning saints. As to the number 24, uh, that, that number is found again at the end of the book of Revelation. So at the end of the book, if you've read the book before, you know that the, the climax, the wonderful ending, is, is, is the city of God coming down out of heaven, the city of Jerusalem, right? And, and it comes down, this is going to be where God and man dwell for all eternity. And that city, as it comes down, is described as having 12 foundations and 12 gates. 12 and 12. So the 12 foundations are named for the 12 disciples of Christ. They have their names on the foundations of the city. And the 12 gates are named for the 12 sons of Israel. They're kind of equivalents in the Bible. The first ones in the Old Testament and the first ones in the New Testament of the people of God. And together they are 24, 12 and 12, right? And so I, I think it likely that that's who's sitting here is the apostles and the sons of Israel representing all of those that would come after them in both covenants and both testaments. So when we see the elders worship, we, we should see the saints worshiping the Lord. Okay. Coming down to verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Lightning and thunder. I, I wonder, have you been in a a thunderstorm to end all thunderstorms? Have, have you been in a thunderstorm that, that shook your insides when you felt the thunder roar? I can remember when I was going hiking with some of my kids. We were up on a mountain. 
uh, on the Appalachian Trail. And we, we looked across the valley and we could see the storm coming. That is a terrifying moment because it's moving faster than we are. We're in the middle of nowhere. We've got our two feet and here it comes. And you can just see it. And you can see the rain moving across the valley, obscuring everything as it came. And I'll tell you, when that came over top of us, we were already at the elevation that we were inside the thunderstorm. And you couldn't tell the direction that the thunder and the lightning was coming from. It just was all around, shaking us within. And that was nothing like this. That happens, by the way. Why does that happen? That happens so that we can have some sense of the power of God. Some small sense of the power of God. Because from the throne comes flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And there is John seeing that and feeling that and hearing that. And it's vibrating through him. He learns of this through his senses. We learn about this through words as we read these words. But, but don't be concerned or mistaken. The Lord has given us what we need right here through his word. We can know what we need to know through his written word. The fact that we've not seen that lightning does not diminish its brightness. The fact that we've not heard and, and felt that thunder does not quiet the roar. The fact that we've not beheld that glorious throne and the one upon it does not diminish the power of that throne. Here is the center of all power. Center of all power in the universe. This is universe creating power. Universe sustaining power. Power. Universe governing power. The center and the source of all power. Whatever command comes out from that throne, from that throne, bathed in resplendent light and shaking with lightning and thunder, whatever command issues from that throne will be done. It's unstoppable power. What that throne wills, will be. What that throne forbids will cease. What the throne declares will stand. And what that throne decides will happen. And about those things, standing in the presence of that one, there is no doubt who governs the universe. Forgive me, but let's take a step out of the throne room for a moment. So that we can remember why we're here. Let's take a step back. And remember why we're seeing this. Remember the rest of the universe. Outside the throne room. Remember the seven churches that we just read about. In their temptations and trials and suffering. Remember the churches down throughout the rest of the church age. And scattered throughout the world at times persecuted and at times oppressed and at times seduced and at times tempted. Remember your own life which doesn't always go the way you want it to go. 
Remember that friend you've been praying for who's sick and you don't know why they haven't gotten better. Remember the family member that you're praying for who doesn't yet know the Lord. Remember the the situation that's causing you anxiety or pain. Remember how you're not married and you wish that you were. Or that you've been hurt by somebody and you haven't gotten through it yet. Remember the sin and the suffering throughout this world. And the temptations and trials that boil up from within of our still sinful flesh. Remember that. You got that? You got that? All right, take that in your hand. And let's go back in the room. That in your hand. Back into the room. Back into the radiance. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peelings of thunder. Divine power is like static in the air. Now, what is that thing in your hand? Is the throne over that? Is it? Is the one on the throne on the throne over that? Yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. He is over all things. He is over all things. He is governing all and in control of all. This is a picture of of a sovereign God in control of all things. He has a plan and he has the power to work out his plan. Now, that could lead instantly to questions. Let me answer the most obvious one. The fact that God is on the throne and in control of all things does not mean that all things that happen are good. You can't get through three verses in the book of Revelation and think that. There's a whole lot of bad that happens in this book. There's a whole lot of bad that happens in this world and in our lives. The fact that he's on the throne doesn't mean that all these bad things are instantly good. But he is so entirely and completely on the throne that he is able to take evil and use it for good. Only this God can do that. He's able to take injustice and work it to justice. He's able to take what is wrong and work it to right. This one on the throne uses all things for His glory and all things for the good of His people. He is a powerful God. So here we are, Revelation chapter 4, coming after Revelation 1 through 3 and the description of the churches, coming before the rest of the book of Revelation and all the problems that the church will face. And here is the risen Christ, equipping His church for what they're to face, equipping us, you, for what we, you, are going to walk through. You are going to face things that you don't understand. 
You're going to have questions that you can't get answers. There are going to be situations that are confusing and disturbing and perplexing. And you're going to need to go somewhere with that. You're going to need to do something with that. You're going to need to run somewhere in the face of that. Where? Where shall we run in our trials and tribulations, in your suffering and sadness, your disease and your disappointment? Here's where we run, friends. We run to the throne. This is where we go. We go to the, to the throne and to the one who is seated on that throne. You are still on the throne. You are still in control. You are still powerful. And you are still good. And I don't need to know your plan to know that you have a plan. And I don't need to understand your ways to stand in awe of your ways. You are good. You are upright. You are powerful. You are wise. And your plan will be accomplished. So, friend, here is our refuge. Here is our hope. Here is our comfort. I know there is a throne. And I know the one sitting on it. And that will be enough for me. Back to the heavenly vision. Back to the same verse we were just looking at. Which says, before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. This verse alone, in all of Revelation, should convince you that we're dealing with a different kind of writing than we are in most of our Bibles. This is called apocalyptic literature, and it's written in symbolic language. And so when it talks about the seven spirits of God, we've got two options. Either we're going to take that as symbolic language, or we're going to give up the Trinity. So, let's take that as symbolic language. Alright? So, now, there's John, there's mystery here, friends. John sees reality. He sees what's, what's real here. He sees the Spirit as seven spirits before the throne. And, and as, a, as a lamp, giving off light, illumination. There's, there's the Holy Spirit of God. The number seven is often used for fullness or totality. So here's the fullness of the Spirit of God gathered before the throne. Here's the Holy Spirit before the throne. Yet the number seven has something else to do with the fact that there were seven churches just mentioned. And so as it were, the, the Holy Spirit can go to each of those seven churches at the very same time. And be with all of his people at the very same time. There's, there's omnipresence pictured in that number seven. That, that, that the Spirit can be wherever God's people are. Alright. I'm going to attempt to do something here. I just want to show the beauty of our Bible as we're doing this. Okay? Just the remarkable nature of the book that God's given us. We're seeing the throne room. Do you know in the Old Testament there was a throne where God sat? It was in the tabernacle. That's remarkable. God had a temporary dwelling in a tent 
in a desert. If God had not said so, it would seem blasphemous for us to say such a thing. That this one pictured in heaven would, would, would sit down upon the earth with sinful men. Yet, they created this tabernacle. Moses gave the direction. God said, Moses, I want have this made according to the plan that I've shown you. And so, so Moses makes the tabernacle with the holy room and inside the, the Ark of the Covenant. And upon, over top of the Ark, is something called the mercy seat. This was the throne of God upon the earth. The mercy seat where God dwelt with His people. Now, do you remember back in Exodus what was in front of the mercy seat? Just in front of it, in that holy place. I'm going to go back and read because it is amazing to me. There's a lampstand right in front of the mercy seat in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Exodus 15:37. You shall make seven lamps for it. Are you kidding me? I mean, just stop. Are you kidding me? Back, like the menorah, you know what I'm talking about? The Jewish menorah with seven branches to it? Seven, br yeah. These are the seven spirits of God before the throne that John is seeing. But back then, you shall make seven lamps for it. The lamp shall be set up to give light on the space in front of it. Tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. See that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. I'm again amazed that the Holy Spirit Himself would be so humble as to allow Himself to be pictured by a lampstand of gold. I mean, I'm glad it's gold. That seems right. But it's just earthly stuff. Here is pictured before the, the throne the Holy Spirit of God. And God says to Moses, see that you make them after the pattern for them, which I showed you on the mountain. You hear what's happening there? Moses got to see a, what heaven looks like and was told, go make the tabernacle like this. So he did. And so back in the oldest part of our Bible, we see maybe the first picture of there's the Holy Spirit before the throne of God. We can trust this book, friends. I, no one else could do this. <laughs> uh, Forty authors, over 66 books, over 1,500 years, and you get to these level of details, and you just go, worthy are you, Lord. We, we, thank you that you've given us your word that reveals who you are, and, and that you have been so consistent down through the millennia. And, and we look and we marvel that we can know him. Back to the throne room. Next paragraph there, it's in the middle of verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. So there are these four living creatures. They're not given names here. They're just living creatures. They're not 
We're not told that they are angels or humans. They're just living creatures. In fact, I think they're their own thing. <laughs> they are the four living creatures. Do you remember we, we did read uh, Ezekiel when we started this morning? And if, if you listen to that, we saw these four living creatures, their wings touching around the, the throne as Ezekiel saw them. And then here again, we see these four living creatures. And, and they have these different characteristics. They're, the, the full of eyes concept is just the totality of their sight. Nothing is hidden from these creatures. They, they, they see what needs to be seen. And then they have the face of a lion with its, its power and its courage. They have the face of an ox with its steadfastness and endurance. The face of a man with intelligence and, and dignity. Of an eagle with its mobility and swiftness. These are, these are powerful ambassadors around the throne. If God were to send these to do something, it would happen. We've seen them before. They, they guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were sent out so that they couldn't return back in. And there's another place we've seen them before, and it's back to the tabernacle. You remember that Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat? What's over the Ark? It was in fact made with one piece. There are cherubim with wings outstretched, wings touching each other, spread out over the mercy seat. And there again, they made it after the pattern that Moses had seen. There are these creatures forever surrounding the throne, giving praise and honor to the one who's on that throne. Back in the Old Testament, those were gold images. But here, here are the living creatures. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He is holy. He is holy upon holy upon holy. Now, God's holiness is, is the complete perfection of all that is about Him. So, for example, God is love. How does love and holiness relate? God's holiness means that God is the purest kind of love and the totality of love. That's holiness as applied to love. But you can do that to every attribute of God together and all at once. So God is the essence of beauty and of light and of power and of grace. He is dignity and honor and justice and kindness and humility and glory and joy and love and goodness. And all at once and all in the highest degree and all perfect. He is holy upon holy upon holy. And He is the Lord God Almighty. Almighty. All power. All authority. All sovereignty. He is above all. 
all his plans come to fruition perfectly. Who was and is and is to come. He was holy. He is holy. He will be holy. He was the Almighty. He is the Almighty. He will be the Almighty. This is, this is adding eternity to holiness. Not only is He completely holy now, He has always been and always will be perfectly holy. He never gets worse because He's too perfect to decay. And He never gets better because there is no better and there is no way for one such as this to improve. He was, He is, He will be. He is unchangingly holy. The living creatures have the privilege of beginning heaven's song. Day and night they cry out this song of praise, this song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But heaven can't contain it there. It doesn't stop there. That just begins the reverberation throughout the rest of heaven. Verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before Him saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by Your will they existed and were created. The representatives of humanity say, Yes! Yes! Yes, You are worthy of all glory and honor. No one else is worthy. You are worthy and You are fully worthy incomparably worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why is He worthy of all these things? It's right there in verse 11. Worthy to receive all these things for, that is, because, this is why we're giving you this glory, because you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Why should all creation worship you? Because you are the creator of all creation. You are the source. You are the origin. By your will, all things that exist, exist. Because you ordained it. All things that are, were made by you. All things. That includes the 24 elders. That includes their thrones. That includes the living creatures that are around the throne. That includes everyone you've ever met. Everything you've ever seen. The one on the throne is the creator of all. Revelation 4 reveals God as the ruling creator. He is worthy because He is the ruling creator of all Things. Now next week we're going to get to Revelation chapter 5. Next week we're going to see Christ comes into this story. Christ takes a seat upon the throne and He will be worshipped as Redeemer of sinners and Savior of the lost. But in Revelation 4, 
There's no cross. There's no redemption. There's no discussion of the need for a Savior, the reality of a Savior, because, friend, listen, no one here is saved apart from Jesus. Apart from His work on the cross, no one would be saved. In Him is our total and only hope before this holy throne. And yet, apart from Him, if He had never come, if, if, he, had, if he had never gone to the cross, even apart from those wonderful and blessed events, still the one on the throne would be holy, holy, holy. He would be the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He would be worthy of all glory and honor and power because still through Him all things that are were created and they exist by His will alone. He's worthy of praise because He's the Creator and the ruler, ruler of all things. So, glory. Praise the Lord. What do we do with this? Man, marvel. Worship. What do we do with Friends, we just read Heaven's song. This song is being sung right now. It's so sweet to me. You know when we come in on a Sunday morning and begin worshiping, that we are joining a worship service already in progress. That's remarkable. But we get to join Heaven's song. And that's remarkable. And we get to join Heaven's song while we're here on earth. And yes, that means like we can sing together. And when we're done here, we're going to sing together. Praise God. Let's do that. But, but more, this is to equip us to worship this one on the throne with our lives, throughout our lives. Yes, yes, yes on Sundays. Let's do it. But on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, in, in, in the good and in the bad, the Lord gives us this to equip us to worship Him on earth, in life, in your difficulties and your dilemmas and sorrows and sufferings and all that you walk through. This is so that we could see there is one on the throne no matter what we face. There is one on the throne no matter what we walk through. There's one on the throne no matter what we're fearing, no matter what we're seeing, no matter what we're believing, there is still one on the throne. And this invites us to worship Him by trusting Him. And that's why it's here. That we would worship Him by trusting Him. So, that is the call of this passage. It's very simple. Trust the one on the throne. There you go. What are we taking with us this week? Trust the one on the throne. Trust that he is on the throne. When you don't see it, we're not John. We're not up there. We're not seeing it. When you don't hear it, feel the thunder. We're seeing other things. We're feeling other things. We're dealing with other things. Friends, you, you can give a kind of a 
sweet sacrifice of praise to the Lord by joining heaven's song upon the earth. I'm looking forward to joining heaven's song in heaven. That's going to be really good. But there's a sweetness here, a kind of fragrant offering of a broken vessel offering praise to God. I can't see you, but I trust you. I can't hear it. I hear all kinds of other things. But I'm going to follow you. There are all these, all these temptations. But you are holy, holy, holy. All these pressures coming in. But you are the Lord God Almighty. This is meant to give you ballast as you live through your life. And our trusting the Lord in these days is how we praise Him. This is how we join heaven's song right here. You're worthy, and I'm going to live like you're worthy. I'm just going to follow you. I don't Listen, we're going to go through the book of Revelation together. It's not going to make sense at times. Why does God allow this? Why that? Why this other thing? I don't know. Let's come back to the throne. He's on it. He's good. He's almighty. We can trust him together. So, no matter how it looks here, friends, the Lord God Almighty is on his throne. Let's trust him with every breath that he gives us. Worship team, come up. Let's stand together and pray. We worship you this morning, our holy God. Lord, as, as we see your holiness, we're just reminded how much we need Jesus. Lord, forgive us afresh. Thank you for Christ who did come. We're excited to remember that next week, the next chapter. But we stand before you now, the three times holy God. We give you praise. And we ask, Holy Spirit, before the throne, seven flames before the throne, be here now. Anoint us afresh that we could live for the one who's on that throne and trust him in all things that we face.